with the Spirit. You know, the, the Old Testament picture was a, was a pillar of cloud by night, no, by day, by night it was a fire. And when the, the pillar moves, everybody moved. And guess what? We, we are the people of God. So when the, when the cloud moves, we move. So we're always wanting to pay attention to what are you saying, God? Because we, we're a people that are following you. We're following your spirit, you know? So I, I have a, a strong word on my heart this morning. I don't know if it'll take five minutes or, or how long it'll take. It's the shortest notes I've had on paper. I don't know if that's any indication of how long the word will be. But the point is, God, what are you saying, you know? And it was so beautiful. Um, so what is your name? I don't even know. You were praying earlier. Yeah. Oh, I've met you before. I didn't recognize you with your mask on. But it was amazing. Just as Jeremiah was praying, I was thinking, that's my sermon. <laughs> so I'm not sure if Jeremiah should be preaching with me, but at least we're both hearing, at least we're both hearing from the Lord. But this, what I feel the Lord wanting to say to us is from this verse in Jeremiah. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so you can maybe put it up Jeremiah chapter 29 it's a, it's a great fridge magnet uh, line but the fridge magnet uh, t- tends to neglect the context of, of, of the word and I'll tell you which part I feel the Lord wanting us to hear this morning um, let me just uh, before I launch into that just take a sip here yeah? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. This is the fridge magnet part. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. Next line. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Then he says it again. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. That's the part that's not on the fridge magnet. <laughs> they had just experienced the judgment of God and they had been sent into exile against their will. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. But the, the part, so, so this story is a story of God's judgment and God's hope. God, the, the people of Israel had not been seeking the Lord with all their heart. They had taken the Lord for granted. They had begun to seek other things, other idols. They began to neglect the word of God. Even though they were the people of God, they treated God as something that wasn't precious. They lost the wonder of who God is. And as a result of that, God had sent many prophets to warn them, come back to me, come back to me, seek me, seek me, seek me again. And they ignored all the warnings. And eventually God's judgment came. And they were sent into exile into a nation called Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. And God's promise came to them while they were in exile. And says, I've not forgotten you. I have a promise for you that my, my intention is to do you good. My intention is to restore you. And he says, when I restore you, you will seek me. And you will find me. 
when you seek for me with all of your heart. And I think that's actually the key part of the phrase, is that you're going to begin to seek me with all of your heart. I'm going to be your treasure again, like I, like I haven't been for a long time. And then it's interesting, when Jesus comes onto the scene, what does he say? For those who seek, you will find. To those who knock, the door will be opened. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. But it's interesting, he says again, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. There's this with all your heart bit that is so important to God. If it's not with all your heart, he'd rather not have you seek him at all. And so it's a promise and it's a warning at the same time. The promise and the hope is for those who are desperate for Jesus. You've got this sense of emptiness, this sense of longing, this sense of, God, I need you so badly. Where can I find you? He would say to you, I will be found by you. You will find me. And I will, I will surpass all your longings to a degree that you never even dreamed it could be possible. But the warning is, when you seek me with all your heart. And the warning there is that if, it's an, if there's apathy in our hearts, if it's an intellectual curiosity or, or a momentary diversion of let me try this thing out, he's almost saying, don't bother. You won't find me. If, that, if, 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 if there isn't a hunger and an earnest desire to find me with all your heart, you won't actually find me. You won't find me. Because he refuses to be your second best. Uh, he refuses to be your second wife. <laughs> uh, he, he, he's he, he, he's either going to be my all or my nothing. Uh, and what's interesting, when Jesus says, uh, those who seek me will find me, it's actually in the continuous tense. And some of the translations pick up on this. That those who go on seeking me will go on finding me. Isn't that beautiful? We don't just find Jesus and now I've got him. Cool, now I've found Jesus. Now I'm going to carry on with my life. It's like, no. Your whole life you will go on seeking me and you will go on finding me. It's so beautiful. He's, it's a relationship that he's called us into. Um, and, and, it, and it's very encouraging for us. But it's interesting, even in the ministry of Jesus, you find that this was the case. Don't you see it? Even in the parables. You know, Jesus, why, why, are you, why do you say things in such a complicated way? And the truth is because he rewards those who are truly and earnestly seeking him. will take his words, and sometimes they're in stories. And you'll take that word and you'll say, God, I don't understand this. Would you show me your mysteries? I, I want to find you. And I'll chew on it and I'll meditate on it and I'll read the scriptures and I'll search for him. And then he reveals himself. But for those who are apathetic, you hear a story from Jesus in parable form and you think, whatever that means, carry on with your, your day. But for those who are earnestly seeking him, he reveals himself. And you see that even when Jesus says, you know, those who are poor in spirit will find me. Those who are rich will not be interested in me. And that's because our hearts either searching, seeking Jesus, or it's trying to find the same thing we might have found in Jesus in the pleasures of this life. 
And it's a lot easier to distract ourselves with those things when, you, when you're rich. When you're poor, you don't even have that option. <laughs> it's Jesus or nothing. And so very often, the poor were satisfied in Christ, and the rich went away uh, thinking, it's a, it's a bit tough, maybe I'll try and find the same thing somewhere else where it's a bit easier. And the danger for, of that for us is we're a rich congregation. And you may think, well, I'm not rich. Well, it depends on what you're comparing yourself to. <laughs> you're comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you, maybe you're not rich. But actually, comparatively speaking to the rest of the world, we have many comforts and conveniences in our generation and in our context that, that make all the warnings to the rich people applicable to us. And so the challenge is for us, Jesus, even when I have comfort, even when I have some material wealth, I know where my treasure is. And it's not in any of these things. These, any of these things leave me hungry and thirsty, because it's only you that can fulfill the longings of my heart. Amen? And so it is possible to continually have this Jesus. It's only in you that I'm satisfied. And what's interesting, and you will have probably experienced this, is sometimes you start with that heart, and you find the joy in the life that's in Jesus. But then you get distracted, and you start... uh, your heart shifts subtly, and then you find the things that used to give you so much joy don't anymore. Have you noticed that? It's just me. For me, for example, I love surfing. Love it. I have for a very long time, and I really enjoy it. I get a joy out of surfing. But when I find my, my hunger for Jesus has gotten small and dry, surfing takes on a new priority in my life. I need more from it than I normally do. And I actually find it so frustrating uh, because it's become something that it's not supposed to be. Jesus is my everything. Jesus is my joy. He's my life. He's everything that I need. And I enjoy surfing with Jesus, right? But, but when my hunger for Jesus, it grows small, then surfing has to fill a hole that it was never intended to. And the same goes for relationships. The same goes for my workplace. The same goes for my holidays. The same goes for all my hobbies. All the things which, good things which God has given for our joy, they, 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 they can't carry that load anymore. Does that make sense? And so you're left with this frustrated longing. Um, and usually you have to do those things more and more to try and get the same joy that you used to get out of them. But it's a vain hope. And so one of these very interesting things that happens with those who are seeking Jesus is the first thing that God gives you is not himself. The first thing God gives you is a hunger. Isn't that interesting? That's why if you've got a friend that's unsaved and, they, and they're seeking and they're asking questions, God is already at work in their hearts. When they're growing dissatisfied and depressed, <laughs> and empty, and lonely, you should start getting excited. (laughs) Because God is beginning to wreck their hearts for the things of this world so that they no longer satisfy anymore. And that's the step that comes before God putting a a hunger in their heart for himself. And then he puts this this hunger and this thirst, and it becomes an all-consuming hunger and thirst. And I loved the other day when, when Rahul was sharing his testimony he was sharing about this emptiness. And, this, and I loved it because I so identified with that story. And then he came in here on a Sunday morning and experienced the presence of God while we were worshiping and just started weeping. And I think he said the first couple of Sundays he was here, all he did was just weep. Because he's a hungry heart, a hungry, 
thirsty heart, tasting water for the first time. And it is overwhelming. It is just too good to be true. So the first comes the hunger, then comes the seeking, then comes the finding. But then what's interesting, immediately after the finding comes a revelation of the cost. Have you noticed that? Happened with Jesus, happens with us. So many people put their hand up and say, I want Jesus, and they respond to Christ, and they say this in his prayer, and then, and then you don't see them again. And that's because that week, or shortly thereafter, they realized, oh, okay, cool, it was great. I, I loved what I tasted, but there's a cost. I'm not, I do want Jesus, but I'm not sure if I want him that much. You know, there's a cost. And God almost always determines when the revelation of the cost comes. Sometimes it's soon, sometimes it's a bit later on. And so we know the story of the person that finds the treasure hidden in the field and then went away and sold everything to have the treasure. Some people don't. Some people don't go home and sell everything they have to have the treasure. They see the treasure and they realize, oh, I have to sell everything to have it. Oh, well, no one mentioned that part. I put my hand up too soon. If they told me that before, I would have maybe been more calculating and so, after the tasting comes the testing of, and you see this oftentimes when people are getting baptized, which they are, by the way, today two people are getting baptized, and tomorrow two people are getting baptized, which is really exciting, very, very cool. Oftentimes, when you're talking about baptism with people, you see this wrestle going on in their heart, like, I want to, but I also don't want to, and, I, and maybe it's too soon, and there's a couple of things I still want to do before I, you know, and it's this thing of counting the cost. But that doesn't just happen when you get saved. It also happens again and again in your life with Christ. You'll find God stirs your heart for a hunger with a thirst for Jesus. And then you taste him. And then you'll say, okay, cool, now I just need you to lay this down because this is becoming a stumbling stone to you. And you're like, ooh. <laughs> I enjoyed the taste, but not that much. Or, 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 or it was. Or I'm just so wrecked, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pay whatever price. Does that make sense? And so there's this hungering, this seeking, and this finding that, that is, it defines the life of a true follower of Christ. And so God refuses to, to take second place in our life. Um, but I want to just read a scripture which I think so graphically describes what happens when our hearts grow cold. And I remember the story I read earlier about the Christians, I mean, the, 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 the Israelites being exiled because they no longer sought God with their whole heart anymore. This passage, which I'm going to read now, I think gives you a little bit picture of what that process might have looked like. Don't you want to put it up? Oh, uh, Malachi. Shot. Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. This is God speaking. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. You ask, well, how have we defiled you? 
by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you, this is hectic, one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name, listen to this, my name will be great in the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And so the picture here is in the temple, people brought offerings, sacrifices to the Lord, animals which would be offered up as a sacrifice to the Lord. But they were, it was difficult for them to part with the animals. And so they realized, I want to make an offering, I want to make a sacrifice, but this is coming at a cost. So let me find an animal which is good for nothing anyway, a blind animal or a sick animal or a lame animal, and I can offer that up because that, that won't really affect my livelihood too much. I can spare it. You know what I'm saying? I can, do, I can do without this one. This one's blind anyway. Who wants a blind animal? So I can part with this one. And God was saying, what? This is, can you see what he's calling them back to? You know, seek me when you seek me with all of your heart. When I am your treasured possession." when I'm worth more to you than anything in the world, when your sacrifices come from a place of God, you are so worthy. I'm going to give you my very best. I want to. You understand the difference? I want to give you my very best. That is what the Lord is seeking. And we'd be, we'd be mistaken to think this only applied to the Israelites. Amen? <laughs> Amen? This doesn't just apply to the Israelites if we offer, if we're honest, you know. Because God, God says the same to us. I, I, want, I don't want your scraps. I don't want your leftovers, whatever I have left over in my week for you. Jesus, you're the most precious thing in the world to me. I want to give you my best. And when I say give you my best, fill in the blank at the end of that sentence. My best whatever. Because he's the center of my world. He's the center of my world. He's the, he's the center of all my longings, of all my desires. He is at the center. It goes on to say at another point in verse 13 that the people were saying about the sacrifices, what a nuisance. What a nuisance. As if it's an inconvenience to me. Why do we have to keep doing these things? It's so inconvenient. It's such a nuisance. When those kinds of attitudes creep into our hearts, you've got to know God something. When the things of you become a nuisance to me, they become irritating to me. Why do we have to keep doing this? You know, what's the point? You know, I've got better things to be doing with my life. Then at that point, you have to say, God, you are my treasure. There's nothing in the world 
I desire more than you. Amen? Does that make sense? This is a journey that all of us are on. And we're all in different parts of this journey. But there will come a time when God will challenge us on these things and say, look, if you're going to give me your blind animals, <laughs> rather let's just shut the doors of this temple. We've lost the whole point. I want your best because I've given you my best. We're all in. He's all in. We're all in. Amen? And so I'm just going to close now by mentioning a few things, like practical things. What does it look like to seek the Lord with all of my heart? I think Jesus said to us, it's a promise that if you seek me, you will find me. If you knock and keep on knocking, I will keep on answering. And so the promise to us, it's a promise of hope. He's not far. He wants to be found by us. But he wants to be found by those who love him, that seek him, that honor him. He's not a means to another end. Amen? He is the end. He is the goal. So much of what gets preached in, in prosperity circles is, if you seek God, he will give you this. If you seek God, he will give you that. It's like, well, if you seek God, he will give you himself. <laughs> Amen? And yes, he will look after you. But the point is, I seek him because I treasure him. Jesus is my treasure. Amen? He's not a means to another end. Everything in my life revolves around Him. Everything. The one thing Jesus kept saying to those who seek Him is, is He would say, for those who have got ears to hear, let Him hear. He wants us to be people that are attentive to His voice, that listen to His voice, that respond to His voice, to re that respond quickly when he speaks. As we respond quickly when he speaks, we stay in step with his spirit and we continue to have his presence and his communion and his nearness and his life. It's as we follow him. He's not going to follow you. He's not going to follow me. It's as we follow him. He's calling us and he has called us to love the things that he loves. To love the things that he loves that the things that he loves would wreck our hearts. And so it's a good question to ask frequently, Lord Jesus, what do you love? Show me what you love. I want to love the things that you love. Amen? A couple of the things he loves. He loves the lost. He loves to seek and to save the lost. He loves the people of God. He loves the person sitting next to you. So in answer to the question, what does Jesus love? He loves the person sitting next to you. He loves them so much that he went to the cross to die on the cross for that person sitting to, next to you. He re his heart for us, his love for us, is much more than we could ever imagine. And our hearts grow to be like his heart the more we walk with him. Amen? May he wreck our hearts for the people sitting here. Amen? If you have to ask yourself, where would Jesus be this morning? He'd be here. If Jesus was walking in the flesh, he'd be here. Right here, he'd probably be sitting here. Right here. Why? Because he, he said, the, the scriptures say that he is enthroned in the praises of his people. He loves it when the church comes together and worships him together in unity, in love, in reverence. He loves it. I think we have no idea how much our worship means to him. We, uh, last week at our elders camp, I was worshiping Jesus, and I suddenly have, had a picture of me worshiping Jesus. It was so weird. It was like I was looking down from the ceiling at me, worshiping Jesus. And God said, 
I love it when you worship me. I was like, wow, I've never thought about that. Well, I think about Jesus when I'm worshiping. I don't think of myself worshiping Jesus. But when he sees us worshiping him, he loves it. When, when his parents couldn't find him, they lost Jesus. He said, where did you think I'd be? I've got to be in my father's house. Why would you look anywhere else? Amen? And so even the things that God loves, what are the things he loves? He loves his people. He loves to save the lost. He loves our worship. He loves hearts that are obedient to him and sensitive to his Holy Spirit. But, he, but we also hate the things he hates. We hate the things he hates. That's why when Jesus started talking about sin in our life, he started about, to talk about cutting things off. <laughs> if, if your hand's causing you to sin, it's not an issue. Just cut it off. You'll be better without a hand and in heaven than with a hand and sinning. Just cut it off. It's like, well, that's a bit extreme. Well, he hates sin. And as Christians, as our hearts seek him, we also increasingly grow to hate sin, to separate ourselves from sin. Amen? I'm going to end with a scripture. And it's a, poet, it's a, it's a poetic line. And I love poetry, and I think God does too. But that uh, remains to be seen. But it's a poetic line. So if, if nothing I've said gets to your heart, may this poetry get to your heart. In, and it's from Psalms, where all the good poetry is found. Psalm chapter 27, verse 8. And we'll, we'll go into a time of worship and whatever else the Lord wants to do now. So maybe the worship guys can come out if you, if you can. Psalm chapter 27, verse 8. How beautiful is this line? You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Isn't that beautiful? You have said to me, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not from your presence. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe poetry just wrecks my heart, but let it wreck yours too. Jesus is saying to us this morning, seek my face. I will be found by you. And don't do it once. Do it for the rest of your life. Keep seeking my face. Can we do that? Why don't we, why don't we stand?